Amen. Brother John's on Sunday announced and preached the theme for Atlanta West in two, for 2015. And um, this theme for Atlanta West, I do believe, is going to be a year with a lot of victories as we mobilize. Amen? Amen? Do you believe that? You know, we can say a word or we can preach and we can believe it and we can put action to it. And I truly believe that this year, if we put this action to it and we don't just say, oh, we're going to mobilize. But if we mobilize and we put action to it, then we will see the outcome of that mobilization. Amen? Amen. And I believe that. And I'm excited about the victories. You know, sometimes you go into a situation knowing that you got a fight on your hands. You know that if I walk into this situation, before I walk into this situation, I know I'm going to have to fight. And I'm not necessarily talking about put up your fist and fight somebody. You may have to do that as well. But if you know that, maybe you'll go the other way. But sometimes in a spiritual situation, you know that you got to fight on your hands. You got to get in there and get your hands dirty, and you got to fight your way through it. Amen. You got to touch the throne of God. And then I have no doubt victory is imminent when we touch the throne of God. And that's the way I feel in my spirit. And when studying over the last few days over this message, there were times that I was beside myself excited about what we're going to see happen through the remainder of this year. And I called Brother Cooper. I was going to ask him a simple question. And so in, in calling him and asking him the question, he said, well, what are you preaching about? And, and so I told him, he said, wait, wait, hold on. So he emails me his notes that he's preaching at the daughter work in Hiram tonight. And you could put our notes side by side in every single scripture that he had in his notes. I had in my notes tonight. I believe that's a confirmation from the Lord. And I thank God for that. Amen. So tonight I want to simply help us remember some valuable principles in the word of God and not forget that we have a lot at stake in this thing that we call life. Because the moment that we forget that it's a battle and we get too comfortable in our daily routine and forget to capitalize on the biblical principles that we've learned to live and let down our defense only for a moment, we can fall prey to exactly what our enemy desires. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we have to live a miserable life, constantly worrying, looking over our shoulder. But when we lose perspective of what the reality is, and that the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, all of a sudden we may find that we have little chinks in our spiritual armor of life that we may be allowing things that are not of God in our life. But our hope is this. Let's remember the rest of that scripture. John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not, but for steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Can I get an amen? Amen. More abundantly. I want to get to the more abundantly life part. Amen? So I want to speak to you for the next few minutes. We are still in the battle. Look at your neighbor. We're still in the battle. Knowing this truth, we need to remember all the authority. Everybody say all. All the authority belongs to God. And through our obedience to the scriptures, we have a greater understanding of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We have entered into this relationship with Jesus that is deeper than many may ever realize. We were given power after we received the Holy Ghost according to Acts 1.8. And we have taken on his name and his power. Jesus said that he would build his church. He would build his church. And in doing this, he has given us the authority to go along with that power. And our authority is in his kingdom. Is God-given, this authority is a God-given mandate to exercise control over the world in the name of Jesus Christ under his oversight. And we must mobilize with this power. We have been called to mobilize Atlanta West and be about the Father's business. The material that I'm going to share with you tonight, it's not brand new. But I want us to think about it and not forget about it and not grow just comfortable in the situation that we found ourselves in. We're not in a battle for the mortal body, but we're in a war for our immortal soul. That part of us that will live forever either in heaven or in hell, that church is what is at stake. And it's not a game. It's not all hype, but it's very, very real because living for God is not a game at all. And yet some of us live our lives in such a foolish, haphazard way, a way that can only lead us to lose the life that we really want. This is a real war. It's a battle that for some people can be far more real than any war or within any other country. I'm not making light of our servicemen. I thank God for what they're doing, but I'm talking about a spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual world out there that is more real than the world that you and I live in. We could look over old attendance records. We could search our memories of friends and family members who have left the church, people who have left hurt, people who have left confused because they lost sight of the authority our God has and has given to us. We have had many casualties in a spiritual sense because it's all become too mundane. Sadly, with an attitude, overhearing these comments, get up, kids, we got to go to church. Stop fighting, we're about to pull into, stop, stop fighting, we're about to pull into the church. Put on the smile, smile, everybody smile. Put on that facade because we're about to get to church. We don't want anyone else to know that we have real problems. If anybody know that we're fighting in the church parking lot, we'll just be going straight to hell. Get through the service only to start the process all over again because we're not living in the victory that God wants for us to live in. Let me remind us tonight, there's a war going on every second of the day, a struggle between the forces of good and evil. And I'm not talking about an epic Star Wars. I'm talking about a real life. We must not forget that we are in a battle and there cannot be any truces. We cannot be neutral. We do not have time for mundane attitudes within our lives and within the church. Amen. Satan's goal is to destroy each one of us, and I give no glory to him at all, but that is his goal. Satan's goal is to destroy you. Satan's, Satan's goal is to just to wad you up and toss you into the trash. He has no love for you or no desire for anything good for you. And from the moment that Satan was kicked out of heaven and Adam and Eve walked up to that tree in the garden, a battle has been waged between the devil and his angels and God and his angels. And you and I are participants in this battle. 
I couldn't help but think about a story a friend of mine told me. He said there was once a boxer who was being pummeled in the ring by his opponent. Blow after blow, punch after punch, jab after jab by his adversary left him with a bloody nose, swollen eyes, and in an enormous amount of pain. The battered boxer's trainer trying to encourage his man in between the rounds said, you're doing great, that bum's barely touching you. To which the boxer looked back through his swollen eyes and said, well, sir, then you better keep your eye on that referee because somebody's killing me. Whether you or I realize it or not, as Christians, you are involved in a major battle against forces that you may not ever see, but we can definitely feel. You can see its results. Oh, yes, you can. In the lives of people going through turmoil, in the terrorism in our country, war, random shootings, disease, suicide, and the list goes on and on. But like that boxer, you can't even see when it's coming. But with the authority God has given to this church, his church, he will ensure our victory. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. I believe it. Circumstances arise that discourage us. Circumstances arise that make people say things that make us feel completely defeated. We're human. I think we are. We're human. Our desires are not always pure. Our hearts need continual work. So we find ourselves fighting battles already lost when we can enjoy a victory already won. Let me say that again. We can find ourselves fighting battles already lost when we can enjoy victory already won. The enemy has come against us using everything at his disposal. And many times we try to fight him with only our resources, with only the resources that I, Brad, has. But remember this, Satan has nothing on his own. He holds corrupt power of fallen creatures, but, but the point is he uses these things. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I like the version that says it this way, if we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. So my goal tonight is to get us to see how real this battle is that we're in today. Where it started, who our adversary is like we don't know, and what he's capable of. So tonight, I don't want to insult anyone's spiritual or biblical intelligence, but let's just go back a little to the beginning of this battle. To understand how it all started, we have to go back before time as we know it, before the creation of the world and mankind, when God created the body of beings called angels. And the topic of angels is a whole message all by itself. The other day, my son Ezra and I were, and he's two and a half, and we were in the living room, and and we're sitting there praying. We're holding hands. And I had my eyes closed, and I, I opened my eyes. And we have, like, this vaulted ceiling area in our living room. And when I opened my eyes, his eyes were real big, and he was looking up at the wall. And I said, what's wrong? I said, what are you looking at? And I don't know that he's ever said this word. He said, angel. Woo, that put chill bumps all over me. I started turning around. <laughs> 
I didn't see anything. I don't know if he did, but that's what he said. So angels are magnificent beings from everything that we can see in the Scripture. Usually when someone saw one, they fell backwards or they fell prostrate because of the awesomeness of their appearance. So when God created them to worship and adore him, he decided to create one, a special masterpiece. He created Lucifer, the brilliant or shining one. We're kind of formally introduced to him in Ezekiel 10, 28 in this type and said, but by seeing what he was like before his rebellion, and we'll have a better understanding of why he rebelled and how it affects us. So if we turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning at verse 13, Ezekiel 28, 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. This angel was perfect in every way in the beginning. He was glorious and perfect, seems in every detail. He was the most amazing musician and singer ever. Brother Brandon, the way that I read it, he didn't just play the organ, he was the organ. When he opened his mouth to sing praises to God, he sounded like a full orchestra and choir all at once. God designed him to lead all other angels in praise and worship to Almighty God. The Bible says that he was in Eden on the holy mountain of God. This lets us know that he occupied the most exalted place of all God's created beings. He was the anointed cherub who covers. His job was to proclaim and protect the glory of God. He had it all. But then came that terrible day when he stood in front of the mirror too long. The Bible said in the passage that I read to you earlier in 15 and 16, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your own splendor. He forgot one thing while he was looking in that mirror. And the one thing that he forgot was that he was created by God. He forgot that his diamonds didn't just show up or he didn't create them himself that his incredible talents didn't appear all by themselves, that he, he didn't become awestruck with himself. The angel who became Satan began to worship himself and wanted everyone else to worship him too. That's what makes pride such a terrible sin. 
One that God hates because pride is self-worship. So he went to the other angels, tried to sell them on his new plan, which was that they didn't need God anymore. They had a new God. How many times have you been discouraged, carnal-minded, in a low place and maybe in your thoughts ran the idea that I can do this all on my own. I've got this. I don't need anyone else. I don't need God. I don't need friends. As you work yourself right into a big pity party. Satan offered them the option of following him. And one third of them bought into his amazing plan. Isn't it amazing that when someone falls, one of the first things they do is want to drag everyone else around them right where they are. And here's what Lucifer said he was going to do. And I say with a smirk, Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Even in his most arrogant moment, he never said, I will be the most high. could only get to, I will be like the most high. But God dwelt swiftly with his pride and arrogance. And verse 15 says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So the big question, he had it made. Why did Lucifer do what he did? But the whole point to this battle then and the point to this battle still today is about glory. It's about all worship and praise. Church, this is why we praise. This is why we walked into this sanctuary tonight and Brother Brandon and the praise singers and the worship team was here leading us in praise because we understand the order. We understand that when we praise God, he will fill this temple. Amen. We understand this order and the quickest way to get the devil off your back is to start praising God. The quickest way to get the devil and the situation of this world off your back and to win victory is to praise God. We need to praise God to get out of your spiritual slum. You can praise God to get out of your depression. You can praise God to cast out all fear. You can praise God to be encouraged in whatever situation you're in. You can praise God and add whatever you need in the rest of that sentence because God is. He is the beginning, he is the end, and he's everything in between. And all we got to do is begin to praise him. And his power is there. His spirit is there. His anointing flows into whatever situation you're in. And I truly believe that tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. I remember, I remember laying in that hospital bed and fighting the mind games of all that was going through my mind. I was never going to be normal again with all of this, these things messed up with inside of me. And I can't get it out of my mind that the doctor had just come in asking me, Brad, you know, um, a lot of people in your situation, we need to give them some medication because your nerves can get really, really bad and, and you can get into a terrible depression. And, and though it may be acute depression now, it can turn into chronic depression. And we just don't want you to get into that situation. 
And I said, no, no, I don't, I don't want any of that. And I remember, and I, I talked to Dana about it today. I said, you remember that day when we lifted our hands and we began to praise God in that hospital room? I had those mind games going on, and I began to praise God. I began to praise God, and all I could move was my arms. But I began to praise God, and God's presence came into that hospital room and gave me the peace that passes all understanding. I'm not throwing a pity party for myself, and I don't feel sorry for myself. I thank God for what he's done in my life. I thank God that the principles are true no matter who you are and no matter what situation you're going through. You begin to praise God and make yourself a sacrifice of praise, and he will send down his blessings. I believe that. We serve this kind of powerful God, church. We serve him. You may find yourself being a little bit embarrassed to worship God with everything you've got, but the rewards are worth the risk, I promise you. What if we truly, and I'm preaching to myself, entered into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, coming in and praising God, instead of sitting back with our hands folded or sitting back on our cell phones, I wonder what God thinks about that. Because when you praise in his presence... He's there. And guess what? The other promise is where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. Whatever you feel bound by, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It's not up for you to have that liberty for me. I can have it all by myself. The devil hates our praise. He wants that glory. And all of his plans has been squashed. And he knows that he's running out of time. The desire for glory is what he wanted. He began to see how beautiful and talented he was. And he started wanting the spotlight. Church, anytime we feel a need to be in the spotlight, we must be careful. God hates pride. Pride will destroy us. So God kicks Lucifer and his fallen angels down to earth. And sometime after that is where we come to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that the earth was formless, void, covered with darkness. So God decides to create something. I like this, and I really thought about it until today when I was writing this down. God decides to create something of a lesser stature than the angels. He makes a man. He makes a statement with Adam to the devil. I can take a creature of less beauty. I can take a creature of less ability than you, but who trusts me. And I will do more with this weaker vessel than you can do with all of your power. Amen. Amen. When we begin to think too highly of ourselves and that God needs me, And I'm the only one that can do this for God. Do we understand? I'm the only one. When we get that mentality, we're walking on thin ice. That's one reason why God is so merciful to us and patient with us. He knew we would make mistakes. And when we did, the devil's going to be the first one to say, he did it, he did it, he did it, she did it. Look what she's doing. Look Look what they're doing again. How many times, God, have they asked you, forgive them for that? Doing it again. 
It's doing it again. So when Adam and Eve were created, the battle expanded to earth, and it included all of its inhabitants. The devil quickly goes to work on this new couple. Isn't that great? New married couples. Any of you married couples ever feel like Satan has zeroed right in on your relationship? He knew that if he could get them to mess up, he would steal the glory from God. He understood that whoever owns the family, Brother Hall, whoever owns the family owns the future. So Satan appears to Eve and deceives her into believing that if she would just eat of this fruit, then she would become like God. Why did Satan want more than anything else? What did he want more than anything else? To be like God. So here he is trying to get Eve to repeat his sin. Here he is again dragging people down. He tells her how great this fruit is and how it will do all these wonderful things. Now this is not obviously the first time that she had seen this tree, but she had never seen it through Satan's eyes before. Sometimes you can be all around a situation and you see it clearly for what it is. And then you can fall to temptation, and now you see it through a different set of eyes. It don't seem so bad. This is not as bad as I thought it was. Brother John's is just all worried about nothing. I can live for God and do this. I can be a Sunday school teacher and still do all of that. No problem. Different set of eyes. Lord Jesus. But when you fall to that sin, he only shows you one side of that beautiful fruit. He never shows you that on the other side, all of the worms and the decay. He wants to fantasize and glorify and elevate and exalt sin so highly that all of a sudden the vilest sin looks harmless. All the while eating away as subtle as Satan can be. And we know the story as it continues. They eat of the fruit, and at that moment, sin and death appear for the first time. They are cursed and cast forth from perfection, just like Lucifer. Satan's happy again. He thinks he's won. But God has another plan that involves sacrifice and bloodshed. And from that moment until now, God has done everything he can to make sure that his creations can be saved from the punishment he created for the devil and his angels. Luke 15 and 10 says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Every time a sinner repents with God and filled with God's spirit, the angels rejoice and praise God. God gets the glory again. At the same time, the devil's doing everything he can to destroy and take us down. He wants to rob God from his glory. How many times have you brought someone to church? They're baptized in Jesus' name. They're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't think that happened to me. Well, I, well, what did you feel? Oh, it was amazing. It's the best thing I've felt in my life. I wish I would have done this when I was a, a 10 years old. But I don't think it happened to me. That's the way the devil works. He wants to tell you, no, that didn't happen to you. That's all hype. That's, that's not for real. Do you really think in 2015 people are speaking in tongues? But like Brother John's just said a few weeks ago, it's the largest growing religious activity in the entire world. Who our adversary is. 
So we just read about what the devil was like before he fell. Now let's talk about what he's like now. Some people think that Satan and God are opposites and that they are somehow equals, but nothing could be further from the truth. Satan is not an evil God only. He is merely a fallen angel. All power belongs to God. I'll never forget, I was in the crowd when I was youth pastor, and I was preaching a story. I had, I had preached about heaven and everything about heaven to the crowd. Well, the next week I was going to preach about hell and explain exactly what the Bible said in the book of Revelation says about hell. And at one point in my message, and Brother Russell will remember, one point in my message I said, if anybody thinks that the devil's going to be ruling Satan, then you've got this all wrong. He's not going to be sitting on a throne of fire saying, put a little more brimstone on him. Put a little flame on her. That's not what it's going to be like. He's going to be burning with everyone else he deceived forever and ever and ever with no power. And when I said that, I felt like someone hit me with a bat right in the gut. And for the rest of that message, I could hardly stand up. After the message, I sat down on the side of the the altar area down there, and the kids are all praying, and Brother Russell came up. Do you remember this? He came up, he put his arm, he said, Brother Brad, are you okay? I said, man, I feel like I've been beat to death. He said, well, you look like you're about to throw up. He said, you're white as a sheet, and I had hair then. And, and, And I said, man, when I made that statement... The devil was fighting me, and I'm not one of those kind of people. But when I made that statement, the devil didn't want those young people to know that. They didn't want, he didn't want them to know about the deception that he can bring, and that's all it is. And when I made that statement, it was a fight till the end. But you know what? I say it over and over and over and over, and he don't bother me anymore. I just say it and say it. You know what? I tell my kids that every once in a while. Let me just tell you something. Satan is not the ruler of hell. And if you're led to, and you, you fall with that, then you're just going to fall with him. He's not going to be ruling anything. Amen. Remember the time when Jesus came to deliver the demoniac? The demons cried out from within him. Jesus. We don't, we don't, don't deliver us into the abyss, but let them enter a herd of swine. In another place, in Matthew 8, we also see demons crying out and asking Jesus if he has come to torment them before their time is up. Hell knows that its time is short. And so evil is working as hard as it can to destroy all it can. Because one day, Jesus is going to return and cast them all into the lake of fire forever. Amen. I said all that to say this, Satan has power, but only in a limited sense, only by permission from God. Remember the story of Job. So now let's look at who he is. Names in the Bible reflected characters or who you really were. And before his fall, the devil was known as Lucifer, shining one, son of the morning. And after his fall, he became known as Satan, the adversary, the opposer. He's only been called the devil. He's also, sorry, he's also been called the devil, accuser, slanderer. And that's what he's doing constantly. He's been called the God of this world and the prince of power of the air. And his main characteristic is that he's a liar. And that is where his main weapon or power comes from. He can't defeat God. 
He can't defeat God. Did anybody know that? He can't defeat God. He can't touch God. So what does he do? He attacks us, people who are created in the image of God. All he can do is try to trick us into falling short. That's his way of getting at God. His power and his weapons, Ephesians 6 and 11 and 12. I read 12 early, but let me read 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I read again, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan's number one weapon is the ability of deception. He is a master at deception, at getting people to believe things that are not true. The scripture I just read to you says that we need to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil. So let's look at the definition of wiles is cunning arts, deceit, trickery. This is his power. He can't physically harm you, force you to act or whatever. There's no such thing as the devil made me do it. If you've given him control over your life, then he can influence you to do harm to yourself, to others, someone else. But think of all the cults who, through the deceptive power of Satan, have convinced their followers to go as far as even committing suicide. The extreme followers of Islam believe that if they are killed fighting unbelievers, that they will have a special place in heaven. So they strap themselves into planes and crash, and they strap bombs around them and destroy. Why? Because they have been deceived by Satan into believing this lie. And Paul was concerned and speaks of this very thing in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. He says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil wants you to turn left when you should be going right. He wants you to be unhappy when you should have joy. He wants you to pollute your mind with this world and its ideas when you should be filling it with the word of God. He wants you to fail instead of succeed. And he's doing everything within his power to accomplish that. Every time you fall to temptation, every time you sow deceit, every time you gossip and tear down the unity of the church, like Sister Stephanie talked about Sunday, every time you gossip and tear down the unity of the church, Satan's got a great big smile on his face. That's not of God, church. Amen. Every time you click too much on the computer and the list goes on and on and on, but don't forget, the whole conspiracy against our soul is masterminded by Satan himself. And I'll repeat a little bit. Jesus called him the prince of the world in John 14. Paul called him the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4. Satan comes against us to depress and defeat us. That's his purpose. He is called the deceiver. He's called the liar. He's called a murderer. He's called the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, the prince and power of the air, the destroyer and the evil one. All these aliases describe him very well. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the world, the flesh, the devil, the world, this flesh, and the devil have aligned to destroy you and me. He's a master counterfeiter, and he will counterfeit the good things of God for cheap, 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 cheap imitations in this world. Because I promise you, Satan will sell you lust for love, anxiety for peace, worry for joy, He'll try to convince you that things you've been preached to about are not that bad. That there's nothing wrong with the way you're leading your family. And here's the process. 
Stage one is desire. He arouses within you a desire for things that are not of God. The enemy not only wants to control your desires, but how they are met. He wants your desires to master you. He wants your desires to drive you. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Not of the Father, is of the world. The lust of the flesh, or you could call sensual pleasures, this would include inordinate desires in the areas of food, like overeating, drugs, sex, laziness, violence, amusement, and so on and on and on. The lust of the eyes or selfish possessions. This speaks of the desire to have more and more of everything that entices the eyes. Eyes enamored by the world have an insatiable appetite. The pride of life or stubborn pride, this is the desire for importance. A desire to lord yourself over others, to be self-sufficient, the best, I'm the greatest. We must also come to grips with the enemy inside ourselves that the scripture calls the flesh. The description of flesh, you, know, you can find that if you want to take notes. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 describes this flesh. Whoever controls your desires controls you. Whoever controls your desires controls you. Stage two is deception. Once he controls your desires... He can deceive you into believing that the wrong things you are doing are really okay. He'll have you justifying your behaviors at every turn. Stage three, disobedience. Once you've convinced yourself that something is okay, you'll do it. You may feel a little bad, sorry, upset one or two times, but before long, you'll do it again and again and again until there's a stronghold built. Disobedience is rebellion as of witchcraft. If we don't understand that, you may say, well, Brother Johns didn't say exactly that. But if I do that, it's disobedience. Well, it's as of witchcraft. So disobedience, witchcraft, disobedience, hell. You can get there pretty quick. Disobedience is rebellion, and rebellion is what got Lucifer in trouble from the very beginning. James 1.15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. If the musicians can come, please. The final stage in death, Adam and Eve's disobedience brought physical and spiritual death into the world, and sin still does that. Sin separates from God. And as I close, every day that you live, God is working for you. God is working on you, me, and in us to make sure that we're saved and that our life matters. On the other side, Satan and his followers are working feverishly to cause you to take living for God casually, playing like it's a game. Lazy, apathetic, afraid, intimidated to do the things for God. Church, 
I've been, I've been in church my entire life. Thank God. I thank God for that. So over 40 years, I've been hearing God's return is near. It's close. It's around the corner. Nothing else needs to happen in prophecy. God, and I still believe that. But if there's ever been a time to start really living for God, it's right now. No games. Because there are wars. There's rumors of wars. There's disease. There's pestilence. The Bible said when that begins to happen, look up. Church, our pastors call us to mobilize, to get the job done, to go as Jesus commanded. And this is a metaphoric battle that we all must sign up for because no one can force you. No one can force you to live for God. No one can force you to be obedient to His Word. No one can force you to be subject to spiritual authority in your life. No one can force that. So then it becomes your decision. I've preached this to myself all weekend, yesterday, today. And I felt like I just needed to be shaken somewhat. We don't need to forget where we came from. And we sure don't need to forget where we want to go. But we got to mobilize. And let's go together. Let's stand behind our pastor and his vision. And when we do that, we cannot be contained. You know, I was thinking, our salvation began with a miracle. Each one of ours, my personal salvation, began with a miracle. And I want it to end with miraculous. It's the continuous miracle of God given authority that many seem to miss. So I'll stand, please. Dear Lord. you, God, for your presence that's here right now. Thank you, God, for this church. God, the brothers and sisters in this sanctuary, God, every child, every grandparent, every adult, every mother, every father. I thank you, Lord. God, for a body of believers who believe your word. God, it's been said of Atlanta West, we're a great Bible church. Our pastor teaches the Bible, and I thank God for that. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, God, that, God, what's instilled in us, what we've been prepared for, God, that we can bring that to situations all around us. And we know, you, God, you won't leave us with the wrong words to say, with nothing to say. God, in bad situations, you will take care of us. I pray, God, that our witness shines bright for you, Lord. In our workplaces, in our schools, in our jobs. 
with our friends and family members. God, that we show love. The greatest of these is love. An offended brother is harder to win than a city. I pray, God, that we have wise counsel as we go out and we mobilize. God, that you're with us. And we don't set ourselves on a pedestal of any kind. But God, that you would use us. In the name of Jesus Christ.